footsteps behind you as you enter the woods. Night draws back its cape. Light illumines your path. Open your eyes. Listen. Welcome to Dark Softly Tales. Dark stories for dark hearts. I'm Mav Sky. Good evening, and welcome to your nightmares. And another episode of your favorite horror storytelling podcast, Dark Softly Tales. This is your host, Mav. And this week, we're going to the grand house of Lady Neville. Lady Neville has thrown the most wonderful parties all of her life, but even the king himself has attended. Now in her old age, she wants to throw the grandest party of all. But she can't think of who would be grander than all the nobles she has already invited in the past. And finally, it comes to her. She will invite Death himself. Er, herself. I thought it rather cheeky to play around with the death theme because why not? The world's in a strange place right now. There's a lot of fear. And you all know how I like to take fear and, you know, play with it. So that is what we're doing this week with our two-part story, Come Lady Death by Peter S. Beagle. Now, get comfortable, light a candle or two, and... If death knocks at your door, perhaps ask it for a dance. Might as well. What's there to lose? Take my hand and hang on tight as we journey into the dark softly. Come, Lady Death by Peter S. Beagle Narrated by Mav Sky Part 1 This all happened in England a long time ago when that George, who spoke English with a heavy German accent and hated his sons, was king. At that time, there lived in London a lady who had nothing to do but give parties. Her name was Flora, Lady Neville, and she was a widow and very old. She lived in a great house not far from Buckingham Palace, and she had so many servants that she could not possibly remember all of their names. Indeed, there were some she had never even seen. She had more food than she could eat, more gowns than she could ever wear. She had wine in her cellars that no one would drink in her lifetime. And her private vaults were filled with great works of art that she did not know she owned. She spent the last years of her life giving parties and balls to which the great lords of England, and sometimes the king himself, came. And she was known as the wisest and wittiest woman in all London. But in time, her own parties began to bore her. And though she invited the most famous people in the land and hired the greatest jugglers and acrobats and dancers and magicians to entertain them, still she found her parties duller and duller. 
Listening to court gossip which she had always loved made her yawn. The most marvelous music, the most exciting feats of magic put her to sleep. Watching a beautiful young couple dance by her made her feel sad, and she hated to feel sad. And so, one summer afternoon, she called her closest friends around her and said to them, More and more, I find that my parties entertain everyone but me. The secret of my long life is that nothing has ever been dull for me. For all my life, I have been interested in everything I saw and been anxious to see more. But I cannot stand to be bored, and I will not go to parties at which I expect to be bored, especially if they are my own. Therefore, to my next ball, I shall invite the one guest I am sure no one, not even myself, could possibly find boring. My friends, the guest of honor at my next party shall be Death himself. A young poet thought that this was a wonderful idea, but the rest of her friends were terrified and drew back from her. They did not want to die. They pleaded with her. Death would come for them when he was ready. Why should she invite him before the appointed hour, which would arrive soon enough? But Lady Neville said, Precisely. If Death has planned to take any of us on the night of my party, he will come whether he is invited or not. But if none of us are to die, then I think it would be charming to have Death among us, perhaps even to perform some little trick if he is in a good humor, and think of being able to say that we had been to a party with Death. All of London will envy us. All of England... The idea began to please her friends, but a young lord, very new to London, suggested timidly, Death is so busy. Suppose he has to work and can't accept your invitation. Hmm. No one has ever refused an invitation of mine, said Lady Neville. Not even the king. And the young lord was not invited to her party. She sat down then and there and wrote out the invitation. There was some dispute among her friends as to how they should address death. His lordship death seemed to place him only on the level of a viscount or a baron. His grace death met with more acceptance, but Lady Neville said it sounded hypocritical. And to refer to death as his majesty was to make him the equal of the king of England, which even Lady Neville would not dare to do. It was finally decided that all should speak of him as his eminence death, which pleased nearly everyone. Captain Compson, known both as England's most dashing cavalry officer and most elegant rake, remarked next, that's all very well, but how is the invitation to reach death? Does anyone here know where he lives? Death undoubtedly lives in London, said Lady Neville. Like everyone else of any importance, though he probably goes to Deville for the summer. Actually, 
death must live fairly near my own house. This is much the best section of London, and you could hardly expect a person of death's importance to live anywhere else. When I stop to think of it, it's really rather strange that we haven't met before now on the street. Most of her friends agreed with her, but the poet, whose name was David Lorimon, cried out, No, my lady, you're wrong. Death lives among the poor. Death lives in the foulest, darkest alleys of this city, in some vile, rat-ridden hovel that smells of... He stopped here, partly because Lady Neville had indicated her displeasure, and partly because he had never been inside such a hut or thought of wondering what it smelled like. Death lives among the poor, he went on, and comes to visit them every day, for he is their only friend. Lady Neville answered him as coldly as she had spoken to the young lord. He may be forced to deal with them, David, but I hardly think that he seeks them out as companions. I am certain that it is as difficult for him to think of the poor as individuals as it is for me. Death is, after all, a nobleman. There was no real argument among the lords and ladies that death lived in a neighborhood at least as good as their own. But none of them seemed to know the name of Death's Street, and no one had ever seen Death's house. If there was a war, Captain Compton said, Death would be easy to find. I have seen him, you know, even spoken to him, but he has never answered me. Quite proper, said Lady Neville. Death must always speak first. You are not a very correct person, Captain. But she smiled at him, as all women did. Then an idea came to her. My hairdresser has a sick child, I understand, she said. He was telling me about it yesterday, sounding most dull and hopeless. I will send for him and give him the invitation, and he in his turn can give it to death when he comes to take the brat. A bit unconventional, I admit, but I see no other way. And if he refuses? asked the lord who had just been married. Well, why should he? asked Lady Neville. Again, it was the poet who exclaimed amidst the general approval that this was a cruel and wicked thing to do. But he fell silent when Lady Neville innocently asked him, Why, David? So the hairdresser was sent for, and when he stood before them, smiling nervously and twisting his hands to be in the same room with so many great lords, Lady Neville told him the errand was required of him, and she was right as she usually was, for he made no refusal. He merely took the invitation in his hand and asked to be excused. He did not return for two days, but when he did, he presented himself to Lady Neville without being sent for, and handed her a small white envelope, saying, How very nice of you. Thank you very much. She opened it and found therein a plain calling card with nothing on it except these words. Death will be pleased to attend Lady Neville's ball. 
Death gave you this? She asked the hairdresser eagerly. What was he like? But the hairdresser stood still, looking past her, and said nothing. And she, not really waiting for an answer, called a dozen servants to her and told them to run and summon her friends. As she paced up and down the room waiting for them, she asked again, What is death like? But the hairdresser did not reply. When her friends came, they passed the little card excitedly from hand to hand until it had gotten quite smudged and bent from their fingers. But they all admitted that, beyond its message, there was nothing particularly unusual about it. It was neither hot nor cold to the touch, and what little odor clung to it was rather pleasant. Everyone said that it was a very familiar smell, but no one could give it a name. The poet said that it reminded him of lilacs, but not exactly. It was Captain Compson, however, who pointed out the one thing that no one else had noticed. Look at the handwriting itself, he said. Have you ever seen anything more graceful? The letters seem as light birds. I think we have wasted our time speaking of death as his this or his that. A woman wrote this note. Then there was an uproar and a great babble, and the card had to be handed around again so that everyone could exclaim, Yes, by God, over and over. The voice of the poet rose out of the hubbub, saying, It is very natural when you come to think of it. After all, I should much prefer death to be a woman. Death rides a great black horse, said Captain Compson firmly, and wears armor of the same color. Death is very tall, taller than anyone. It was no woman I saw on the battlefield, striking right and left like any soldier. Perhaps the hairdresser wrote it himself, or the hairdresser's wife. But the hairdresser refused to speak, though they gathered around him and begged him to say who had given him the note. At first they promised him all sorts of rewards, and later they threatened to do terrible things to him. Did you write this card? he was asked. And who wrote it then? Was it a living woman? Was it really death? Did death say anything to you? How did you know it was death? Is death a woman? Are you trying to make fools of us all? Not a word from the hairdresser. Not one word. And finally, Lady Neville called her servants to have him whipped and thrown into the street. He did not look at her as they took him away, or utter a sound. Silencing her friends with a wave of her hand, Lady Neville said, The ball will take place two weeks from tonight. Let death come as death pleases, whether as man or woman or strange, sexless creature. She smiled calmly. Death may well be a woman, she said. I am less certain of death's form than I was. But I am less frightened of death. I am too old to be afraid of anything that can use a quill pen to write me a letter. Go home now, and as you make your preparations for the ball, see that you speak of it to your servants, that they may spread the news all over London. Let it be known that on this one night, no one in the world will die, for death will be dancing at Lady Neville's ball. 
For the next two weeks, Lady Neville's great house shook and groaned and creaked like an old tree in a gale as the servants hammered and scrubbed, polished and painted, making ready for the ball. Lady Neville had always been very proud of her house, but as the ball drew near, she began to be afraid that it would not be nearly grand enough for death was surely accustomed to visiting in the homes of richer and mightier people than herself. Fearing the scorn of death, she worked night and day, supervising her servants' preparations. Curtains and carpets had to be cleaned, gold work and silverware polished until they gleamed by themselves in the dark. The grand staircase had rushed down into the ballroom like a waterfall, was washed and rubbed so often that it was almost impossible to walk on it without slipping. As for the ballroom itself, it took 32 servants working at once to clean it properly, not counting those who were polishing the glass chandelier that was taller than a man and the 14 smaller lamps. And when they were done, she made them do it all over, not because she saw any dust or dirt anywhere, but because she was sure that death would. As for herself, she chose her finest gown and saw to its laundering personally. She called in another hairdresser and had him put up her hair in the style of an earlier time, wanting to show death that she was a woman who enjoyed her age and did not find it necessary to ape the young and beautiful. All the day of the ball, she sat before her mirror, not making herself up much beyond the normal touches of rouge and eyeshadow and fine rice powder, but staring at the lean old face she had been born with, wondering how it would appear to death. Her steward asked her to approve his wine selection, but she sent him away and stayed at her mirror until it was time to dress and go downstairs to meet her guests. Everyone arrived early. When she looked out of a window, Lady Neville saw that the driveway of her home was choked with carriages and fine horses. It all looks like a great funeral procession, she said. The footman cried the names of her guests to the echoing ballroom. Captain Harry Compson, His Majesty's Household Calvary. Mr. David Laramon. Lord and Lady Torrance. They were the youngest couple there, having been married only three months before. Sir Roger Herberson. The Contessa Della Cadini. Lady Neville permitted them all to kiss her hand and made them welcome. She had engaged the finest musicians she could find to play for the dancing, but though they began to play at her signal, not one couple stepped out on the floor nor did one young lord approach her to request the honor of the first dance, as was proper. They milled together, shining and murmuring, their eyes fixed on the ballroom door. Every time they heard a carriage clatter up the driveway, they seemed to flinch a little and draw closer together. Every time the footman announced the arrival of another guest, they all sighed softly and swayed a little on their feet with relief. Why did they come to my party if they were afraid? Lady Neville muttered scornfully to herself. I am not afraid of meeting death. I only ask that death may be impressed by the magnificence of my house. 
and the flavor of my wines, and I will die sooner than anyone else here, but I'm not afraid. Certain that death would not arrive until midnight, she moved among her guests, attempting to calm them, not with her words, which she knew they would not hear, but with the tone of her voice, as if they were so many frightened horses. But little by little, she herself was infected by their nervousness. Whenever she sat down, she stood up again immediately. She tasted a dozen glasses of wine without finishing any of them, and she glanced constantly at her jeweled watch, at first wanting to hurry the midnight along and end the waiting, later scratching at the watch face with her forefinger, as if she would push away the night and drag the sun backward into the sky. When midnight came, she was standing with the rest of them, breathing through her mouth, shifting from foot to foot, listening for the sound of carriage wheels turning in gravel. When the clock began to strike midnight, everyone, even Lady Neville and the brave Captain Compson, gave one startled little cry and then was silent again, listening to the tolling of the clock. The smaller clocks upstairs began to chime. Lady Neville's ears hurt. She caught sight of herself in the ballroom mirror, one gray face turned up toward the ceiling as if she were gasping for air. And she thought, Death will be a woman, a hideous, filthy old crone as tall and strong as a man. And the most terrible thing of all will be that she has my face. All the clocks stopped striking, and Lady Neville closed her eyes. She opened them again, only when she heard the whispering around her take on a different tone, one in which fear was fused with relief, and a certain chagrin, for no new carriage stood in the driveway. Death had not come. The noise grew slowly louder. Here and there, people were beginning to laugh. Near her, Lady Neville heard young Lord Torrance say to his wife, There, my darling, I told you there was nothing to be afraid of. It was all a joke. I am ruined, Lady Neville thought. The laughter was increasing. It pounded against her ears in strokes like the chiming of the clocks. I wanted to give a ball so grand that those who were not invited would be shamed in front of the whole city. And this is my reward. I'm ruined, and I deserve it. Turning to the poet Laramon, she said, Dance with me, David. She signaled to the musicians who at once began to play, and when Laramond hesitated, she said, Dance with me now. You will not have another chance. I shall never give a party again. Lorimond bowed and led her out onto the dance floor. The guests parted for them, and the laughter died down for a moment. But Lady Neville knew that it would soon begin again. Well, let them laugh, she thought. I did not fear death when they were all trembling. Why should I fear their laughter? But she could feel a stinging at the thin lids of her eyes, and she closed them once more as she began to dance with Laramond. And then, quite suddenly, all the carriage horses outside the house whinnied loudly, just once. 
as the guest had cried out at midnight. There were a great many horses, and their one salute was so loud that everyone in the room became instantly silent. They heard the heavy steps of the footman as he went to open the door, and they shivered as if they felt the cold breeze that drifted into the house. Then they heard a light voice saying, Am I late? Oh, I'm so sorry. The horses were tired. And before the footman could re-enter to announce her, a lovely young girl in a white dress stepped gracefully into the ballroom doorway and stood there, smiling. Who likes dark stories? People who have experienced a touch of the dark side. People who are a little wiser to the world. People who like their bones chilled and their spines tingled. People like you and me. It's hard to find a story these days that write on the dark side with a touch of whimsy, humor, and heart. Mavsky spreads her dark wings and solves this problem for you. Head on over to Amazon and type Mavsky's name into the search engine. M-A-V-S-K-Y-E. At Amazon, you'll find her Tales to Chill Your Bones series, Girl Clown Hatchet series, Supergirl series, her cult classic novel, Wanted Single Rails, and of course, her brand new release, Cold Hangs the Midnight. Choose your dark flavor and head on over to Amazon today. <laughs>